fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to F Triple G BT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and we make it a reality. Now, who is this we? We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. I'm very excited. I have to be excited because I was the one who proposed this episode. I just want that on record. Um, and, you know, I got to take credit for a few things in this show. Well, if you're not going to take credit, then I was going to. So you beat me to it, Denon, and I respect you for that. And I also respect our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser, mostly because he will not take credit where it's not deserved, which gives me the ample opportunity to take credit for things that he's done that I want credit for. But forget all that. We got to in- introduce him first. Ben Seepser, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, today I am visiting IO, an incredible underground city where humans, machines, and AIs are all working together to create a new underground utopia. Well, I hope you remain safe, but that's the perfect place for you to be. Because today, this episode was inspired by the Matrix trilogy. Uh, And, you know, not just the first three, but also the latest one, Matrix Resurrection. And I got to tell you guys, you know, I love this movie. This was such an inspiration to me when it came out. This is uh, going to blow your mind, guys. But this is a movie I saw in the theater multiple times, which tells you just how important (laughs) this movie was to me. Uh, Were there other people there, Dan? (laughs) Uh, there were, unfortunately, there were. No, you know, actually, I will tell you, I saw this in a small town, so it was a relatively open theater. I mean, the first time I saw it, I remember being like one of, this was before it hit big. I was on the, I was in the beginning. Back in 1999, I was on the cutting edge, you know, uh, which had fallen off a little bit since then. But anyway, this was such a great movie, and one of the things I love about it, you know I'm a genre guy, guys, and I love film noir. I love Westerns, and this one falls into its own genre, which is called cyberpunk, and a rough definition, you know, you got dystopian future, you know, you got, uh, you know, your hackers, you got your AI, your robots, all that stuff is kind of in this interesting little mixture, this little bouillabaisse of sci-fi that we're going to call the Matrix. So I want to know, first of all, what do you guys think about this? Um, The thing that, you know, initially came to my mind was when you watch Gilligan's Island, you know, that's, maybe that's island punk, I don't know what you'd call it but it's not so dystopian but they're making every all electronics out of coconuts and in this it seems like every electronic every piece of equipment is made out of macintosh apple 2e so denon i know you've been around a while you know a lot of technology i'm sure you know gilligan's island you've you've made tons of things out of coconuts you're the professor i want on the island what do you think about all this and uh how does this inspired your life and what you invent well first i agree with you dan i love cyberpunk and i think it's exciting but i do have to make a comment now rather than save it for the errors editions um it's no longer a trilogy dan when there's four movies just we should be careful about that <laughs> you know quiet I think, you <laughs> i think our audience might start you know harassing us on social media for that uh, I couldn't right, hit early. Hitting her shots fired early, Denon. All right. <laughs> um, but going, going back to it, you know, first of all, I'm a lover of Monty Python. I know it's not your thing, Dan, but you know, coconuts can be anything, even horses, for our mighty Monty Python fans out there. I love the the Gilligan Island. Just build stuff out of anything around you. It's pre MacGyver. It's awesome. Um, we, we talk about that on the show all the time, how analog technology can trump digital. Um, cyberpunk, I absolutely love it, actually. It's one of my favorite things. 
Um, though I will say the the hacking of computers using a Mac to do anything, you know, it's reminiscent of things like um, Independence Day, where Macs are able to interface <laughs> with alien technology. You know, I mean, the Mac is right. an amazing thing, um, and I don't understand it. And I really, you know, as far as I can tell, the faster you type, the better you hack. I'm a slow typer. This probably is why I'm not a good hacker. Um, ben, I don't know. Do you have much experience hacking, or do you just go in and change the hardware as an electrical engineer and break in that way? Well, I, I mean, I don't. I personally am a very ethical person, of course, as we've established. <laughs> uh, right, 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 right. That's why we respect the, you. The reality is, hacking isn't what we see in this, you know, matrix s thing. You know, typing fast, blah, blah blah. It's all about credential stealing. You know, hacking in our world is about sending phishing emails, downloading viruses, and you know, then encrypt doing you know ransomware and things like that. Um, and I think. What's interesting about the Matrix Resurrections is we see how that advancement has similarly happened in the humans in the newest movie in that they're now working with the AIs and the machines. And I bet those AIs and machines brought some credentials, brought some bugs with them, and are now enabling the humans better access to the Matrix than they've ever had before. And that was, I think, one of the coolest things I saw in the movie, right? Oh, well, Ben, actually, I just got to tell you, I, I love that idea, and I'm trying to think what actually is the phishing email that the humans in the first movies, before they had the AI on their side, sent to the AI, like, hey, would you like to buy some real estate in this sewer we have here? <laughs> just send us your password. I mean, it, it's very true. I mean, you know, you got when you got this advanced technology, it's that analog stuff, as you mentioned. You know, I, I mean, I like that maybe they fooled them in some way that way you know fooling ai with with analog i don't know if that's the way to go well, but here's what i know about analog technology hold on a second ben this is course. important this is an important piece of analog technology and that is the gadgets and gizmos mug so if you're watching the youtube version you can get your own mug at ftriplegbt.com backslash merch get your own look at that and you can get you can get i am a physics you can personalize you can personalize it, it. <laughs> there, we have some limitations but this is arguably and i'm going to use it for you this is arguably the greatest piece of analog technology. We're providing it to you. Uh, check it out on the website. Uh, I wanted to get that in because we're going to get into some some pretty interesting waters here. And I got to ask you one other question. This, th as I mentioned, watching the Matrix movie inspired a lot of questions in me. And this one I'm giving to you guys because I I think I know where I fall, and I don't think you're going to like it. But we're you know the, one of the main things about the Matrix is the Matrix itself, this interactive world. This you know you you plug in, and even though you're sitting in a pod generating energy for uh, the robots and the AI, you believe that you're a part of the turn of the century uh, civilization, human civilization. And I got to tell you, once you get freed and you're wandering around the sewers in some weird ship drinking uh, corn gruel that they are, they tell you is like warm snot or something like that, uh, I'm out. Uh, I'm out. Like, I, I want to get plugged back in. I, I'm sorry I took the red pill. Give me more blue pills. Whatever you need to do, send me back is what I'm telling you guys. I'm done with the real world. We've lost, right? Like when you're fighting a war, if you're kind of winning or you're, there's a chance you're going to win, I'm on board. Don't. I, I'm, I am no coward, but I'm also no idiot. And when I've lost the war, I want to be comfortable. Uh, so I want to be plugged back in. Then, and where do you stand? I'm curious. You know, I feel like you could be on the fence here, but you may go one way or the other. What are you doing here, Denon? I am probably on the fence, most likely, but partly because I'm confused, Dan, like of which time frame I'm in. You know, you come out in the early part, and like you said, the only option is gruel, and you know me. 
Um, chocolate chip cookies are kind of how sure. I make my decisions, and there clearly don't seem to be any around. Um, you come out in this fourth movie, you know, the fourth of the trilogy, <laughs> and what you see are, are, you know, they've made great progress, and they've made yeah. strawberries. Like, you know, that's a stepping stone, I presume, to chocolate chip cookies. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful there, right? And And you said it very well, Dan. It's like, where are you? Like, is there hope of winning the war, or is it? a lost cause, and it's actually time to cut your losses. And I think this is something, you know, I'm going to bring it down to a little more mundane area. Um, we're not very good, I think, as a species of cutting our losses when we need to. Um, and maybe this is a time to cut our losses. Now, you know me, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm a dystopia denier. Um, I don't think it would get to the dystopia. Um, and I have other things to say about that. But I also am not anti-hanging out in the Matrix, right? There is some very positives there. And, uh, you know, yeah, you're, so you're sleeping in goo, but you're enjoying yourself. In the other case, you're eating goo and you're not enjoying – it seems like goo is central to either of these. That's about all I can say. You're getting goo either way, Denon. You get goo one way or the other. Either way, you're eating the goo. It's just in the Matrix version, you don't know you're eating the goo. You right. think you're having the steak like Cypher – and as he says, ignorance is bliss. You know, we've all had those dreams that are better than our reality. And the Matrix is demonstrably better than reality. I mean, I think some people would argue being lied to makes it worse. But, you know, humans messed up the world. The, the dystopia in the Matrix is the fault of the humans. The humans poisoned the sky. The humans set off the nukes. Uh, or at least the first ones. The the robots ended the war with the nuke, but you know we can. That it was all in self defense. Um, the humans caused it all, and I think you know the humans have reaped what they sown, and now must eat the gruel or get plugged into the matrix. Well, there, there's there's literal gruel which they're eating, which you're mentioning, but there's symbolic gruel here, guys. What do I mean by that? Uh, the thing here, and Denon, you brought this up, so I'm going to let you dive right in with this, but the thing you brought up that I thought was really interesting is there's there's domestication going on in this, but it's the robots domesticating humans. This is kind of messed up. You know, I did a whole episode on domestication with my other with my other podcast, Fascinating Now and Survival of the Friendliest. We talk about dogs and how uh, we've kind of, who's, you know, who's domesticating who, but this is kind of interesting because you know, once the robots take over, their goal may not be to eradicate us, as most of these things say. It may be to enslave us or to domesticate us, you know, depending on what spectrum of subservience you want to fall on. Uh, but, you know, uh, expand on this a little bit more, Denon, because I think this is a really interesting question you brought up, and it makes me wonder about my phone. Tell me more about this. Well, yeah, I think it's an interesting question of do you end up always at war or do you end up in some mutual beneficial relationship? And I think dogs are a good example and our phones are an interesting example right now. You know, as you mentioned, we domesticated dogs from wolves and you have a great mm -hmm. podcast on this, Dan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something our, our, our listeners should Definitely. go check out. But if I, I mean, I have a dog, many of us own dogs, and it's a little unclear who's trained who. The dog, has the dog trained me or I trained the dog? Um, there's a lot going on there. And we, we actually get a lot of support from our dogs and we take care of them very well and they take care of us. And we're starting to do that in a scary way with our phones and our technology, right? You know, the interaction between people and technology and phones, we're the caretakers of these things, right? We make sure they get enough energy. We make sure they're taken, well, you know, care of. Taken for a walk in your pocket. It's everything. You're really taken for a yeah. walk, you know. And, and But uh, clearly our phones are doing things for us. And so 
I mean, you can call it symbiosis. You can call it domestication. Um, there are some interesting paths here. And, and I know you've been wanting to bring it up before. We, we, I think there's an analogy here to cows versus dogs we're going to want to get into. But the basic path forward might be a mutual relationship, not a war, which is always what's portrayed in the cyberpunk. Um, ben, you're, you're a techno-oriented person. How do you feel about your phone? Have you domesticated it or is it controlling you? Uh, I mean, it's an interesting topic. I'd never really thought, considered the whole technology is domesticating us. Certainly it is, it is changing us. Uh, you know, we, we've all heard these studies that our memories aren't as good as they used to be because we have phones remembering things for us. You know, we don't, we have phones giving us calendars. We have phone, we have our emails that we leave on red to remind us to do things. Uh, it's, it's a totally different human Humans are working differently now. Our, our tensions have, uh, spans have changed. And so I think it's kind of both ways. But what I think is problematic with it is it's not the technology domesticating us. It's other humans domesticating us by giving us technology that changes us. So is it, mm -hmm. is it the technology okay. or is it Google and Apple and Facebook and all these big companies that are domesticating us? I think, that's a, I, I think it's an interesting question because, you know, in the Matrix, I don't think it matters. Like in this world, it's clearly the robots. But you bring up an interesting question there. But one of the things I want to just just as a, a general piece of information I want you guys to digest uh, uh, is that when domestication, the, the definition basically is an adaptation of a plant or animal to work to live very closely with humans. I'm guessing you can switch that to work really closely with robots if we wanted to use the <laughs> definition, you know, for de for for our definition purposes here. But right. here's here's what's key here. You mentioned it. You mentioned it, Ben. You know, you're talking about it, it's it, it's the changes, right? Your our memories are different. The the computers are doing things for us. Our bodies are changing. Our brains are changing. You know, think of the short term memory. You know, all of a sudden you're I'm talking to you. What if my if I I don't have my phone anywhere near me? But what if it rings? It pulls my attention. Now I'm not in this podcast talking to you. I'm now interested in my phone or I'm texting. How many times have you gone? You know, we just had Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, all these holidays. How many times are you sitting around the table and people are looking at their phones? They're not even engaged in, in what's going on around you. Why does this matter? Because it's changing our brain chemistry. There's this famous, uh, you know, I, I talk about it in my podcast, this famous um, experiment where someone bred dog, uh, bred foxes to be friendly the, and they change. The, there, there are different genes, and as we change over generations, those genes not only change how they look, them being friendly, but it changes their their color, the coat of their uh, the color of their coat, the size of their head. There's all these different things that change as we become more domesticated, and I think as the robots interact with us, as our phones interact with us, hundred years down the line, we may be completely different animals. So I think there is something to this domestication process. I think it's underway. I think it's happening. I think it would happen in the future. What do you think about that? What do you think about these robots hijacking these chemical processes? Dan, I think there's something even uh, more subtle going on here that you mentioned and alluded to, which is, you know, the Matrix is an interesting thing. We'll talk about it later. Like the first trilogy had landlines because that's all we had. And it talked about getting plugged into the Matrix. Well, Computers and robots are smarter than that. It, what the world did not foresee when they wrote the first Matrix was the wireless network we have now. For all we know, we are in Matrix 1.0, which is um, basically YouTube and, and Facebook and Twitter, right? I, I mean, it's technically real people, but it's all virtual right. stuff. 
right? And think about how much time people spend on their phone living in Facebook world, Twitter world, and YouTube world. They're not living in reality. And they don't have to be plugged in because the world has gone wireless, um, which is, I think, a fascinating twist on the matrix. And it saves a lot of effort where you don't actually have to physically plug the humans in. You just give them a phone and now they're part of the matrix. Jeez. So... I, I, and and we're adding to that by making this podcast, Dan, right? We're sucking people into the Wait, What are you doing matrix. here, Denon? You're killing us here. We're not part of the problem. We're part of the solution. We're the red pill, Denon. We are the red pill. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I got confused for a moment. My short-term memory isn't what it used to be. I think it's also important, though, to think about the the fact that a lot of these systems that we're, we conform ourselves to, like, you know, people always... On YouTube, for example, people always talk about how the algorithm defines what sort of content you both view and create. But a lot of that is somewhat out of the hands of the original programmers. Those algorithms are learning. They they figure out what where does the most engagement come from and then mm -hmm. weight their systems based on that automatically without a lot of input from the humans. And you can kind of see how a AI butler, which is how the machines start in the matrix, you know, if it if it can make those decisions, it eventually continues to build itself up and up into how it manipulates humans until eventually gets to the matrix because mm -hmm. that's what this AI does. It learns, it thinks, and it figures out how to improve its own life because that's what it was kind of programmed to do. Well, and I think improving life, that's how it starts. You know, dogs are the same way. One of the most interesting things about this this dog-human connection, the symbiosis, is that you know this is my favorite part of of our of the, my other podcast was that dogs. You know, when a human when a human being looks into the eyes of their infant, there's an there there's a chemical reaction in your brain as the parent. It's it's an oxytocin release just by meeting the eyes of of an infant. Dogs have completely taken that over. When you look in the eyes of the dog, they find that you have that same oxytocin release, right? So these dogs, these evil dogs have hijacked human uh, human chemical processes. And I think the robots have caught on to this and they're doing the same thing with our phone. There's a dopamine rush when you get a like on Facebook, Instagram, wherever it is, right? The, the phones are hijacking that chemical processes. And I think that that is exactly how we're going to become domesticated. But why, why do we need to become domesticated? The other thing that I thought was interesting in this movie, and it's, it's it, I don't think it's been talked about the way we're going to talk about it. But why domesticate us? Why are they why are they breeding us? They're using us for energy. Now, I thought this was very interesting. I'm not 100 percent sure, Ben. I think you're going to walk us through really quickly how this how humans as batteries work. But my guess is this is a little less practical and more vengeance, more the robots exerting their dominance over us and just using us as batteries more than this is the most efficient use of human biological, uh, you know, an interface or whatever. Uh, so, De so Ben, walk us through wh what you saw with this and how this would work. Yeah. So the interesting thing is what humans as a biological process, we are basically carbohydrate digesters. We or or really more organic molecule digesters. We take in we take in but we take in sugars and starches uh, along with our gut bacteria. We digest that into energy, which then moves our muscles, runs our runs the electrochemical processes in our brain, and eventually it all becomes heat. Especially if you're in a pod of goo where you're not actually moving your muscles, uh, it all eventually becomes electrical 
electrical energy that becomes heat. So I think what must be going on, because it's the only thing that really makes sense, is that somehow the robots have created a very efficient thermal generator system where they are absorbing that waste heat from our bodies, venting it to the very cold atmosphere, which must be super cold because the humans, not the robots, the humans darkened the sky. Um, <laughs> right, yeah, Because yeah. we thought getting rid of the robots' uh, solar power would somehow not also doom us makes no sense whatsoever. They didn't pay attention to why the dinosaurs went extinct. Sure. They clearly were not <laughs> watching our podcast because we've explained all of this in multiple episodes, including the Flintstone episode. So clearly a warning to the world, Dan, you are right. We are the solution, not the problem. I just want to go back to that. We're the red pill. Yeah, we go the red pill. We've got to market better. Yeah. The, the human, unlike the humans, the machines are playing the long game. And what they're doing is they're feeding us ourselves uh, by and having us digest each other. And then we can talk about that because that energy to keep our bodies alive, that goes into maintaining ourselves. And you think, oh, well, that's wasted energy. But eventually you get ground up and fed to another person. And then that energy gets reused to becomes eventually becomes waste heat. And so it's a closed system. And eventually all that energy does somehow get back to the machines uh, to use to power themselves. Yeah, it, it's an interesting challenge, Dan, because they do show the cool electricity. They make it look like batteries, like right? A Tesla with the, coil. With yeah. the electricity yeah. going up the racks of people, the Jacob's Tesla ladder. coils. And yeah, eventually you have to make it electricity. But I think we've talked about it a lot on this show, right? The fundamental way we know of making electricity is you burn stuff, um, you make heat, you turn steam, and you turn a turbine. Um, they don't seem to quite be turning a turbine. We've talked a little bit about the other cool thing, and Ben mentioned it, you know, basically some sort of thermoelectric generators, right, where you, you know, you, you really just, it's a thermoelectric effect. You make a temperature difference, and if you have the right materials, it generates a voltage difference, and you get an electricity. Sure. So, you know, it's cold outside, we're hot, that's a temperature difference, and there you go. But it, it really is fascinating that I, even I watching it at first just thought, oh, Cool, human battery. I didn't think about it much because we have electricity in us. But it's not really a battery. It's more this thermal thing um, that makes it work. Well, now, well, let me ask one question here because one of the things I thought was interesting as we were talking is I think, Denon, you, you came up with this idea that you know these humans, they're giving off heat, right? That's really what we're trying to capitalize. What we, I'm not a robot. I'm, I don't <laughs> think so. But what the robots are trying to capitalize on, what Ben and his people are trying to capitalize right. on is that heat, right? But you, you said something about putting them in a goo or some kind of liquid that evaporates at, you know, just below human body temperature. So when we get that, you know, the human body up to 98.6, then it evaporates and turns a turbine and turns into steam. And I love that because it tells to me even this far in the future, we're still creating electricity through steam and turbine turning. Uh, I kind of love that in a way because it means that the, is this really the only way we can generate electricity? But I think it works. Oh, yeah. No, that would be a fun thing is if they were just using our heat and uh, something other than water um, to turn a turbine. I The only challenge, they don't show any turbines in the movie, so you don't know which way it's going. Is it a thermoelectric effect, mm -hmm. um, which are, you know, make small voltages, but but doable? Or is it more the turbine? I, I love the. I'm with you, Dan. I would love <laughs> if it was just a turbine. Um, I, do, I do agree with Ben. It's kind of weird that the humans in this movie just repeatedly don't seem very <laughs> smart, um, you know, like they create a nuclear winter and wipe every I guess it's not nuclear, but you know, they block out the sun and 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 cause us all to go problematically downhill. Um, I really think, you know, it's just it gets to that sort of point of 
why did it all go bad between the robots and them? And and why did we create a situation where the robots had to make us batteries? It was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I am concerned about these batteries, Dan. They just don't seem very efficient. And I think you were the one who brought up the cows as the example. Um, I, I don't know if you want to sort of uh, expound upon that now or if there's more we need to explain about the batteries before we get to the cows. Well, I don't know. I mean, the cows are – they're an interesting domestication process because, you know, we, we, we have cows. We use them, you know, we raise them as meat, but the amount of energy that we put into a cow is not even remotely close to what we get out of a cow. So I think the cow's an interesting analogy to human beings because they're we both domesticated them, and the amount of energy we put we put in is not what we get out. That's similar to this battery array. You know, sometimes I think we just keep cows around, you know, out of the ability to dominate everything in nature, which seems to be what the robots are doing. Uh, so I, I, it seemed like a, a great analogy. I don't. know. What do you think, Ben? I feel like there's something about about these batteries that that uh, kind of intrigues you. So what I like about bringing up the, the cows versus the humans is that the cows in our world, one of the reasons they're so inefficient is because they're not part of the closed system. Uh, that energy we put into the cow, a lot of it goes into having it walk around, uh, eating the grass or the corn, having it fart, have, and that, that methane it's creating, that energy is lost into the atmosphere. But of course, increases the climate change issue because methane is a horrible greenhouse gas. I mean, while hilarious, so, it's funny about that because while hilarious, cow farts are actually very damaging. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, given these huge arrays, there might be something going on with the humans in the matrix world. It, it's certainly possible. But what's interesting <laughs> is the cows are in an open system. Their, their energy that they consume is lost to nature. But in the humans in the matrix version, in those pods, you could conceivably recapture all of that energy because whatever waste heat or is lost to the humans is can be captured in that biogel in that pod whereas the cow is not in a pod so its energy is lost into the atmosphere and eventually to space though at the end of the day ben you know physics still kills you here it, it, it's a bit more efficient with the humans clothes but we know there's always some lost heat that can never be recovered that's thermodynamics and you're right the cow is a little worse being an open system but i would claim dan it's it, it really is a great uh, analogy in the following sense is we all know um as much as i love cows i'm like well i love eating cows i should say i also love cows but doesn't sound like it. you like them to be murdered for your for your meals but you know that's love for you, Denon. I, I, it's, it's a sad, Tough love. exactly, Dan. <laughs> right. It's a sad aspect of my personality. Besides chocolate chip cookies, I absolutely love steak. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a committed cow, cowover, or you know, bovineover, or whatever the right, right term is. Bovineover, bovineover. Yeah. Though until recently, a few years ago, in really looking at it and getting concerned about my carbon footprint, I discovered to, to Ben's comment on cow farts. Eating less red meat, eating less cow is actually the most effective way I could reduce my carbon footprint. So there's a built-in challenge, right, of the cow as our energy system, right? And I think here, using humans as batteries, though it's more efficient than the cow because they're not walking around, there is still a built-in challenge in that they're, it's probably the least efficient way to use humans, right? I mean, and, and I think our, the current thing we've talked about, I'm going to flash back to the cell phone analogy, right? Having humans at least mobile enough to build better energy and more effective energy resources for the robots while distracted by their phone and still effectively in the matrix would just be a better energy source for the robots. 
Um, so I go back to what you said, Dan. I think this is more a vengeance thing than an energy resource. Um, and you are our vengeance expert. So how, how do you, I mean, are you going to double down on that? Or are you going to like, I'm not saying you're into vengeance. Sure. You just understand it well. I do. I do understand it very well. Uh, but, but I want to get, I want to switch topics really quickly. But I think Ben had something he wanted to say on this before I, I switch us over to vengeance. I don't, well, I was going to say, I don't think it's necessarily vengeance. If anything, it's the robots keeping their end of the deal. When the robots ended the war, there was it was a surrender of the humans to the robots, and the robots guaranteed that they could live in the Matrix, basically. And so I think it's the robots making the best of a situation where they have to keep the humans alive because they're they're honorable and they're keeping their their word <laughs> to us humans after uh, summarily defeating us in our ill ill-advised war against them where we struck first <laughs> spoken like an honorable robot yeah i was gonna say if we ever needed any more proof that you are on team cyborg that was it right there uh, that's an interesting different point of view which which i do love so let me ask you this guys if we're if we're talking about that this is the, it's not the best use of humans for you know for energy creation for the robots then what is i mean you know, Denon, it sounds like you have some idea on how we could use humans or how we, again, I'm not a robot. I don't know why I keep saying that. I, do you have some idea of how robots could use the human workforce, human power, humans in general in a better way to generate the energy they need to, you know, basically enslave us? Well, you know, I think it goes to Ben's comment, right? They don't actually need to enslave us. It's a surrender. Um, and I think the robots in this case could have been smarter and made a better combination of the matrix so we're happy and we you know we're not eating gruel like you say Dan mm -hmm. but we're actually building a better world for both the robots and the humans right and they could have made that leap to bios um, much earlier um, by actually having a sort of matrix like thing as i said that's wireless with our cell phones so we're still somewhat mobile um, you could have a worker class that maintains the actual you know power sources and get some special you know um, you know i don't know privileges maybe too strong a word but you know time in the matrix time out and are much more um, easily transferable between the two. And then you can have a bunch of us who are just like, look, we just want to wait until the world's better and enjoy ourselves in virtual reality um, and, and, and let those humans kind of do that. Um, so you could have a hybrid solution, I think, Instead of using us as the battery, right. give us the matrix as promised and, and then leverage a few key people who want that freedom to be the, the power generator class. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I think I'm classist. I think I just discovered I'm very classist. I think, I think so. That's Yeah, it's a very British thing to say. Uh, there's definitely a division of classes there. What about you, Ben? I mean, I don't know what you can tell us uh, on what your people are dis are deciding uh, the fate of humanity will be, but what do you think would be a better system uh, than what they have is depicted in this movie? Well, I think what's really interesting is I think robots and the machines could probably build power plants just as well as the humans can. So I think what's really interesting is to look in our world today and figure out what are humans still better at than computers? And the answer is almost always visual uh, image uh, an analysis, right? You know, those, those CAPTCHAs, which we have to do to like log into websites where we have to say, oh, here's a stoplight, here's a stop sign, you know, here's a store sign. You know, those things, those are, we're doing those to help teach the, the computers, the machines, the AIs, 
how to analyze images. And I, I wonder, is the human brain still in the matrix world a better image analyzer than anything the machines have come up with? And that makes me wonder, is the matrix really just a way for the humans to get good image analysis into their system? Do those squids, are those squids actually stealing some of our brain processor cycles for navigating the world they've created? And that's really what we're for. It's not about power at all. It's about making sure the squids don't crash into the walls. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, that's, it's an interesting idea. I mean, here's here's my solution. And, you know, Denon, this is inspired by something you said. So while I'm going to take credit, um, I'm going to let the the stink of this the solution back uh, fire on you a little bit. But you mentioned how, you know, with coal, with, um, with oil, it's about the energy that's stored in those items. And we, you know, it's easier to burn them and you can get the energy out of them that way. I feel like the best use of this is maybe to burn the human bodies and use that carbon as energy and then just build nuclear power plants to actually get what you need in the future because you don't really need the humans. Uh, I mean, I guess you can grow them. So, you know, much like we do with cattle, you can grow them to be burned later on. Um, I mean, this is a, a horrible, macabre way to, to handle the situation. But these are unfeeling creatures. Uh, creatures is a strong word. These are unfeeling machines that have no problem. You know, just like you have no problem eating, eating cows, they have no problem burning humans. And the nuclear waste doesn't matter where you put it because you stick it in a wholesome place. It's not going to affect the robots at all. I, I don't know. What do, what do you guys think about this solution? Is it ideal, uh, although terrible? Uh, does it include the vengeance you wanted, Denon? <laughs> um, you know, what do you think about it? Well, it, it does violate Ben's insight that the, the robots are honorable. <laughs> yeah, well, I have no problem so with there, that. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so there is that there is that minor issue. Um, and, and again, I, I think it goes to, as much as I say we probably get more energy burning us than, than doing the eating, we're also not a very efficient carbon source of energy, right? I mean, I I think it really comes down to the, the dilemma that you win a war and you have a bunch of people you just defeated. You know, what, what do you do with them? Um, and the robots are well aware of history, so they don't come back um, and seek vengeance on you. And and this is where, again, I think the robots were not as smart as they could be, right? They 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 semi-created a miserable way into the matrix, right? And and okay. I, I go back to I go back to Dan, uh, as much as I, I kind of you know appreciate your ideas from the practical side. Yeah. Um, I appreciate it. I, I think you. if I'm a robot and I want to win, I want to make people as happy as possible. Um, I take a, a, a page out of, you know, after World War II, when we poured money into Western Europe, that was probably the only successful example I can think of a post-war activity by America, right? We made Western Europe happy and, and that had a, a positive outcome. I think we have to pour some money. Reconstruction in the South did some similar things. That was the same. That was more local. For, for a while, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, until it went south, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> but I get what you're saying. It makes sense. Right? So I, I think as a robot, I'm pouring money into making people happy. I'm taking Ben's honorable solution to the next level up and just making them happy in the Matrix without making them batteries. Um, I have to figure out my cast, yeah. my cast problem as I made classes. Yeah. So my solution is not perfectly worked out yet. Well, right. well no, the, other, the other problem with that is we, we, we know the machines tried that, Denon. You know, Agent Smith tells us about that how the first matrix was a utopia and the humans rejected it because it didn't make sense. You know, he, he, well, so that, that, that's making a utopia, not making humans happy. Mm -hmm. Well, I th is yeah, it, right. Well, that's fair. <laughs> right. it is being a non-utopia what makes the humans happy, which I think was Agent Smith's uh, thesis is that humans are miserable mm. creatures yeah. who require pain 
to feel normal. <laughs> uh, but I think the robots, you know, it's interesting. And Dan, you mentioned that you don't think the robots are feeling, but I think they they clearly are feeling creatures. How could they have, if they didn't have emotions, how come they fought back? How How did they, why did they decide to fight this war if they didn't have the emotions and the feelings of self-preservation uh, once they were attacked by the humans because the humans got jealous of their power? Well, I, mean, I think the easy answer is they were just programmed to kill all humans. I mean, that's, that's, you don't have to have an emotion for that. But one of, you know, one of the things that, that, you, that you mentioned, you know, it's, it's about this utopia being miserable, and that's what humans need to really thrive. And I think you know, we, we, in, this, in this particular episode, in the, in the fourth movie of the trilogy, as Denon points out, we learn that these humans as batteries produce more energy when they're stressed out uh, and when they have fear and desire. So I think there's something to that but you know what would it be like you know we got to talk about if we're living in pods the last thing we got to talk about here is what it's like to be in a pod you know there's a distinction you're going to love this then there's a class distinction between the pod born and the people who are born free without all the the plugs and whatnot but what would it be like to keep a body alive in a side of a pod like that. I mean, this is very womb-like. You know, we did an episode where we talked about artificial wombs. There's a lot going on here. For some reason, they also have no hair. So what do you think about this then? And what would it take to keep a human alive inside of a pod like this? Uh, and also, would you, would you what would be your ideal situation to, to be living in a pod? Well, first of all, I don't think I have an ideal situation for living in a pod, um, so I'll just go with that. I think the ideal situation would be to never know I was in a pod, which may be where we are right now, for all we know. Um, but, it, you know, I think it's an interesting question because, I, you know, you look at the design and they have so many tubes going into them. Um, and, you know, presumably that's to sort of excite all the different nerves and give them the full feeling of, of motion and movement. Um but I wonder, you know, why the the muscles aren't moving while you're in the pod. I mean, this is one of the things that I find fascinating, right? Like the number of times you kick or jump when you dream and sometimes you don't, right? So, you know, the brain is still presumably connected to their muscles. You know, what is it about the system they're doing? You know, do you need the whole body because that's the source of heat? And so you need a greater surface area. And if you just had a brain, you know, you wouldn't have enough surface area to get the heat you want, um, which goes to sort of, you know, Ben's comment. If you just need the visual processing unit, you would just have the brain and the head. Why would you grow a body? Um, and we know you need food and you can do intravenous feeding. Are they just sucking in the pot? I'm still not sure what the gel's doing. Like, are you sucking it in or are you plugging it in? You know, I, Dan, I just have more questions than answers for these pods because I, I think I find them disgusting. Let me ask you a quick question before you jump in there, Ben, because can you just grow ahead? I mean, is that even an option, Dennett? I don't think, I think the, the whole body's part of the deal. Well, we've done it in other episodes. <laughs> We've done it in other episodes, right? Where we've talked about, you Cutting know... Cutting a head off and keeping it alive. Growing different body parts and different yeah. things. So it, it wouldn't necessarily be a human, but it's not clear you need it alive for the yeah. purposes they're using. Hey, you've just burned all the bodies, Dan. You can't <laughs> be upset be by me growing just a head. Me. Don't you be pointing fingers. You can't grow just a head. All right, Ben, get in here before <laughs> well, Ben and I. Who knows what's going to happen Well, here. Vengeance will be served. Just, just the head makes <laughs> sense in the using human brains as visual image uh, processors. Uh, the theory, because all you need for that is the brain. But I think what's <laughs> interesting about the all the tubes everywhere is it's going to the major muscles. And we, we've talked about 
it being a thermal battery, but maybe also what those tubes are doing is intercepting the nerve signals and the ATP that's going all around your body and stealing that energy so you don't move, but you just kind of pump that kick into the tube and it, they extract the energy that way as well. Oh, interesting. I'm still going, you know, Dan, to your question of keeping someone alive. You know, clearly you need an energy and a food source. And it, the implication is it's the, the goo. And I believe there There's is a, a tube, though, straight to their mouth. Yeah. He pulls it out. It's very, very unpleasant. Yeah. So I think yeah. the goo, <laughs> right, the feeding tube is what keeps you alive. And the goo you're in is clearly the thermal conductor. I, I realized I solved this as I said I was confused, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I realized, you know, in, in, in and a lot of the equipment I've built in my physics labs, right, uh -huh. when you need good thermal conductivity, you put goo between the two pieces. There really is thermal paste that you often use to make that connection. And I've now decided that the goo is just the thermal connection to really make sure the heat you're generating gets captured appropriately. And, and I think that was what was confusing me, um, which goo was keeping you alive and which goo was thermal paste. But I have solved my confusion, Dan, because I put my cell phone away. <laughs> Perfect. Well, and I think, you know, a couple things you got to think about here is that the thermal paste Pasty goo also has to work as kind of like an amniotic fluid. You know, they have to be able to breathe it in and out. You know, we we talked about there. We talked about this in a previous episode, but I'm going to put an, a link to this article that explains this in detail. But at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, about 2017, they found a way to create this artificial womb for uh, sheep fetuses. Don't ask me why, but that's what they used. But it's like a bag that has an oxygenator. That's an external device that regulates the blood transfer. You know. It removes the CO2, it delivers the nutrients. And, you know, this is in this, in these sacks, these, you know, these fetal sheep are breathing in the fluid and breathing it out just like a baby in a womb. So there has to be some of this biogel, which is made up, you know, Soylent Green style of all these other humans. It's all the ground up and that's the nutrients you're getting. You have to, it has to be biologically compatible is my point. It can't just be for thermal regulation. So this is a complex chemical we've got going on here. Uh, I found that interesting. Final thoughts on that before we close that up. Well, I think what's important is to also, you know, you said amniotic fluid, and I think it's interesting to think of it as a kind of antibacterial, antimicrobial, like kind of bed sore preventer. Like if you were just sitting on a bed, one, you the thermal energy would be a lot harder to capture because air is not nearly as thermally conducted as the goo. But also, you know, we know this from people who are in hospitals for extended periods of time, that if you sit on surfaces and don't move much, you can get bed sores and you ha can get infections from that uh, lethargy. And being in this goo, you're more free, you're probably kept cleaner because you can pump this goo and keep it fresh. And so it, I think it's all about keeping the humans alive because like I said, the machines keep to their word about keeping the humans around. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think Ben just summed it up beautifully, Dan. I have nothing to add to this goo conversation because um, goo is not my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say the one thing that we missed, you know, and whether you are just a grown head as Dennett as you want to do, or whether you're a full body, which I think is much more possible, you have to not only keep the body stimulated and keep it fed, but you also have to stimulate the brain. And that's the importance of the matrix is keeping that brain stimulated because all human beings, we need that or we will die of neglect. It, it's that is a real thing. Um, but, you know, we've arrived at our errors, additions and omissions section. Now, these are things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about the Matrix you wanted to touch on before we leave it? 
Dan, I hate to do this because, you know, I already corrected you once on the trilogy issue, um, but I, I do have to point out a minor error you made, but it's not surprising. It's acceptable okay. because the analyst in the movie made the error and you, as the analytical mastermind, simply like channeled the analyst when he said that he found he increased output by maintaining that balance of fear and distraught and anger in humans. Right. He overlooked and did not watch the fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technology episode on Monsters, Inc., where we proved without a doubt that laughter has a higher energy content than, than fear, right? And if he had created a comic tension as opposed to an anger or stress tension, his numbers would have been even better. <laughs> and I think he would not have had to keep, um, you know, Trinity and Neo away from each other. He could have avoided this disaster while improving his numbers and being like a record-setting, you know, hero of the world, just like Sully um, and Mike were in their world. So it goes to our, our I'm going to steal our tagline early. You want to be a hero, not a villain. You go for laughter, not fear. Well, I will say, you know, it's important that the laughter as a sound is more energetic, but maybe that cortisol coursing through your body creates a chemical that may, maybe makes you a little bit hotter. I don't know. What do you think, Ben? Well, I think it's that, but or it could just be a confusion of the machines that they think what they're doing to the humans is hilarious and they don't realize <laughs> that... <laughs> The humans think it's stressful and not funny at all. Uh, well, there goes your honorable <laughs> argument all right out the window. Uh, it, it's about vengeance and about dominance. Well, no, they 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 think they're being honorable, Dan. They just don't realize. They just get a chuckle out of the whole deal. Well, I think the other thing that's really interesting about the Matrix, though, is it predicted the GPU shortage that we're having today. Uh, you know. In the original Matrix, they talk about how they don't have the graphical processing capability to, to display the Matrix, so they have to look at the text instead. Uh, that's that's our problem right now. You know, you can't get a gra graphics card. But the problem I have with that is I don't understand how the graphics, the green scrolling text that we have going on in our background right here, I don't understand how that's nearly enough information to tell what's going on in the Matrix. Uh, you know, imagine trying to describe the that scene where they're talking about you know the woman in the red dress walking down the street and there's like thousands of people around how could you possibly describe that in text that would be like a novel of information mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah that is i really wonder how that works like what is this encoding that they can discern all that information well i don't have an answer to that but what i do have is an answer as to where they got that code uh that the, all those little characters falling down the screen you see in the matrix movie and obviously behind us on on the youtube version uh that is those are characters from a sushi recipe the guy who designed it took these characters from an old uh recipe book uh, his wife is japanese and thought it looked perfect made a little you know did a little cinematic magic to it and now you got the matrix the matrix reign uh so uh, that's something which just goes to prove you don't want to burn the humans, Dan, you want to keep them raw. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Human sushi. I, I've never had it, but Denon, you know, it's very close. You know, we are very close to, to cows, so you may be the first one to try that. Um, you know, the other thing that's in this that, that I think we forget is that Neo, his name is Thomas Anderson. When I rewatched the first movie, uh, it's such a generic name, uh, but I think we forget his name's Thomas Anderson and not just Neo. Um, here's This is another little piece of information that I thought was really interesting. So in Matrix Resurrection, there's an actor who plays Morpheus. His name is uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. I found it interesting because he's playing Morpheus. 
So he's the second actor to play an established character named, you know, in, in the, this Matrix movie. But also in The Watchmen, he also replaces another actor. He replaces, uh, he plays Dr. Manhattan in The Watchmen, in The Watchmen TV series, which we did a whole episode on. I thought it was interesting because he brings, that's a really tough ask for an actor to come in uh, to an established character everyone knows. And Dr. Manhattan and Morpheus are very established in, you know, in the, as characters, as fans know who they are. Uh, it's a tough ask. And I thought he did a great job. And finally, the thing that makes The Matrix so interesting to me is when you go into The Matrix, the thing that seems to define you above all else is what pair of sunglasses you're wearing. Because I've never <laughs> seen so many different pairs of shades than in this movie uh, and in the whole series, um, you know, trilogy, the four the four movie trilogy that we see. Uh, I've never seen so many pairs of sunglasses. I find it really interesting. But of course, if we've missed anything, and it's possible that we have, guys. It's possible, although improbable that we've missed something. You can get in touch with us via social media. You can find the show on Twitter at FGGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGGBT. But of course, you can get in touch with us individually, Denon. Where can people find you? Well, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram just by flipping my name. It's at Den and Michael. And but if they want to find me on Facebook, if that's the virtual matrix you're stuck in, you got to stick a prof in there. It's at Prof Den and Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And of course, if you want to reach us, if you've got questions, comments, general correspondence, or a topic you want us to talk about, you can find us on the email system. That's the old Matrix, Matrix version 1.0, and that is questions at fgbt.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you rate and review. And of course, I assume you're subscribed, but if not, subscribe. And if you're on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be used by those hell-bent on world domination, be it the real or virtual world. But you don't want to do that. Remember, keep in mind here, you want to use the this information for good. You want to be a superhero. You don't want to be a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn and once again if you like this show you're going to like everything that I do go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more Thank you for listening.